Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the History Hit Warfare podcast. I'm your host, James Rogers. And here at History Hit, we've been jumping up the charts this week. So thanks for all of you that have been sharing us far and wide. We've even been ranked among some of the top history podcasts on Apple Podcasts. So welcome to all our new listeners, and please do keep on sharing. Now, my day job is as a professor of history and warfare and international politics. And so I read many fantastic students' works and cutting-edge research. In fact, I'd say that it's amongst this next generation of scholars that the most inspiring and pioneering work is being done. And with this in mind... I decided that we're going to showcase just some of those young historians that are coming up the ranks. This week, we have Kelsey Ellington, who has just successfully completed her postgraduate level research at the University of York in the UK. Absolutely love York. It's a place I spent three years as a lecturer. Love the city, love the university. Kelsey works on Scottish history, with a focus on the Jacobite uprisings and the Battle of Culloden. Seeing as it is the 276th anniversary of the Jacobite Rising of 1745 this week, We thought we'd get her on to feature Kelsey, feature her research, and hear about her brilliant work. So, here is Kelsey Ellington on the Jacobite Uprisings. Hi Kelsey, welcome to the History Hit Warfare podcast. How are you doing today? I'm really good. How are you doing? I am fantastic. Where are you in the world? Currently, I am in Glencoe in Scotland. Wonderful. What takes you to Glencoe in Scotland? So I did my dissertation on Scottish history at the University of York, and I just fell in love with the culture and the people, and I thought, this is it. I have to move here. You've caught the history bug. This is it, isn't it? (laughs) So for our listeners, Kelsey reached out to me on Instagram because she had a fascinating history project she's been working on to do with the Jacobite uprisings and the Battle of Culloden. And it's always great to feature new upcoming historians on the podcast. And so we had to get Kelsey on here. So Kelsey, have you now been bitten by the history bug to a point where it's now directing your life around the country? Oh, honestly, it's just fantastic. You know, once you start reading into these cultures and you read into these histories and the pasts and the tales, it's just fantastic. You really go down some rabbit holes and some paths and oh, it's wonderful. And I don't want to stop. 
Well, I see no reason why it will have to stop. You studied at York, another beautiful city, and now you've moved up into the Highlands and you get to live around there and experience it in the summer. What's it like? I mean, do you have places that you can swim, go on long walks? Are you near the beaches? It's incredible. So I'm living in Glencoe. We have the Glencoe Waterfalls and just near my accommodation is actually a signal rock where the Clan Macdonald would meet to discuss any plans or any uh, war strategies or anything like that. And the pub where I work at, you know, it's uh, called the Clackaig Inn. And it's one of the most famous pubs in the area. And in the beginning where the reception is, you have no Campbells or no Hawkers welcome because they're the people who slaughtered the Campbells during the Glencoe massacre. So it's really right in the middle of in the history. And you can just feel, you know, almost feel like you're there seeing the mountains and the waterfalls. You can go swim like the Highlands are our playground. And that's what the staff always say around here. You know, on days off, we can just go anywhere we want. And it really feels like you. it's like a tangible history here. This is amazing. This sounds like how I started my history career as well. It was working in bars and doing history at the same time. Although yours sounds far more romantic than mine. Mine was in a (laughs) boring city. You've got a living history all around you. So I'm sure along with the rest of our listeners, we're incredibly envious. And I'm adding Glencoe onto the list of places that I am visiting. And we'll have to grab a pint up there sometime, Kelsey. Definitely. Now, we're not talking about beer or pints today. We're talking about the Battle of Culloden, which was the final confrontation of the Jacobite uprising of 1745. So, first of all, tell us about it. What was the Jacobite uprising? So there were three Jacobite uprisings in total, and they were supporters of a Stuart throne. It was very much a division in the country at the time when it first started, from Charles I all the way to Bonnie Prince Charlie. You know, you had these fights between the Protestants and the Catholics and the Presbyterians. You know, even in Scotland themselves, the Lowlanders were Presbyterians and the Highlanders were Catholics. And there was already calls for a civil war already on the periphery, ready to take place. And it just kind of needed that one certain king called... James II of England to really boost it and kick it all off into a big battle that lasted many, many years. Yes, absolutely. And it really has gone down in history as a defining period in that country, often re-represented as being between the English and the Scottish. But that's not entirely true, is it, Kelsey? No, no, not at all. There is a very, very strong narrative that it is English versus the Scots, but the Jacobites were made up of all nationalities. You had the Irish in there, you had the English, you had the Scots. You know, the Scots fought for government forces, the English fought for Jacobites. Everybody was everywhere based on, well, purely on belief of religion and politics. I mean, this is something that continues through to any sort of internal civil war today I guess you know we try and draw these neat lines in conflict to help us understand it but it's always far more complicated than that however there are some people since these battles and the uprising that have have tried to maybe simplify romanticize this history one being Walter Scott and I know this is very much an area of your expertise so take us through a little bit of the legacies of the Battle of Culloden and the uprising in 1745 how has this been remembered in our common memory? I think for romanticism 
you know it's all about that hero it's the unsung hero it's the what could have happened the alternative to certain events and i think that's why people really pull on especially the 1745 battles that jacobite uprising because it's so recent in terms of history that it's fresh in our minds and when so walter scott was growing up you know this wasn't far from when he was born he would have his grandparents talking about it his parents talking about it relatives it was very much part of a collective memory for scott and I think to make sense of things, or at least to kind of spread the word about these things, you know, you do want to um, simplify it into a narrative. You know, the Waverley novels, you had Edward Waverley from England come up to Scotland and, and fall in love with a clan's daughter and all of a sudden change sides. And it's very, very romantic. And I think the Jacobites for Scott and a lot of Victorian readers, it was a tale of tragedy and heroes going down and fighting for what they believe in and dying for the things that they believe in. So give us a few more details about the battle itself so we know exactly what you're talking about. Who was involved in the Battle of Culloden? When and where did it take place? And why has it become so important in our memory? So Culloden took place on April 16th, 1746. And the main characters we had were Bonnie Prince Charlie versus the Duke of Cumberland, also known as Butcher Cumberland. The idea why it's so important is because it is the final struggle for the Jacobites to reinstate this Stuart throne. And I think for this romantic hero, Bonnie Prince Charlie, to watch his own fate unfold, it's very solemn in a way. You know, Charles was there. He was witnessing his own men being slaughtered. And in truth, the Jacobites never stood a chance because they were not only outnumbered by Cumberland, but they were exhausted. You know, the idea was to launch a surprise attack on Cumberland's forces because, you know, they were celebrating his birthday the night before. So they banked everything on being able to sneak up and surprise him. However, that never happened because the promises of support of troops and money, they never manifested. The council was already split by this point, um, you know, Charles's council. They were already undecided, especially from when they were down in Derby. You know, some of the people wanted to turn back. Some people wanted to carry on going forward. So when Charles was down in London with the council, they, even then they became very split over supplies and over what to do next. Some people thought that they had went too far down south. Some people thought they should turn back. Some people decided to carry on going forward. And the difficulty with that is, you know, Cumberland's army were already surrounding them when they were down south and even back up north in Scotland there was already counter-revolutions happening. There were clans already going against them. You had the Campbells in the west, the Forbes to the north and Edinburgh had already been recaptured by the government. So Charles was really in a pickle by the time he got to Culloden. Charles's men, they were already in bad shape. They'd marched all night for a surprise attack. Not only were they exhausted, but the place where they were marching to, Drumozzi Moor, also known as Culloden, and it was only called Culloden because that's where the prince stayed in the Culloden house. The terrain itself is terrible. It's boggy and it slowed them down, to say the least. And because of this, they ended up being in direct contact with the firepower from Cumberland's army. And not only that, but Cumberland's men were well rested. So... You had those elements going on, but also what didn't help is the Jacobites were largely uncoordinated and they failed to break through the British front and any reinforcements that they had was disrupted by the British cavalry or the dragoons. And even then, the Jacobites were largely outnumbered by the government troops. You had 5,500 Jacobites versus 7,500 government forces. 
The battle lasted for under an hour, and 1,250 Jacobites had died, and 376 were taken as prisoners, whereas the government lost 50 troops and 300 were wounded. It also didn't help that Butcher Cumberland gave the orders to slaughter every single person, which, as you can imagine, would have been very daunting for Charles to see as he stood there watching his people get slaughtered and the revolution, frankly, dying right in front of him. So he felt quite betrayed by his men and he fled for five months with a £30,000 bounty on his head. And obviously, you know, there's the famous Flora MacDonald who helped him over to Skye. Whereas the Highland chiefs, they weren't so lucky. About 120 prisoners were executed, 1,500 were transported to the colonies and the Disarming Act was reintroduced, which meant that land was given to the Crown. Any management income was given to trustees to promote education and order and Protestantism in Scotland. Eventually, though, the ban was lifted in 1782, mostly due to the increase of Highland regiments within the British Army, and the Highlanders were known for their military valour. Wow. So really, it's quite a sad and a little bit of an oppressive legacy, I suppose, to the Battle of Culloden, and marked as an end of an era, because 45 was the last of the five Jacobite challenges, going back to 1689. So this is something that had gone through generations, but it had reached a point, a point where, of course, Bonnie Prince Charlie is sent packing. And am I am I right in thinking, he, does he die in Rome 20 years later? Yes, yeah, so he died in Rome at the age of 89, but he did attempt to come to England a few more times. However, eventually from France, he went to Rome where he spent the last of his years. Well, then that really was truly the end of an era, although Rome's not a bad place to die, I suppose. (laughs) What caused the anarchy? How did medieval migrants shape the language I'm speaking right now? Who won the Hundred Years' War? Could England's lost patron saint be buried under a tennis court in Suffolk? How did England's last medieval king end up under a car park? And were the Dark Ages really all that dark? I'm Dr Kat Jarman. And I'm Matt Lewis. On Gone Medieval, we'll uncover the most exciting and unexpected stories about the Middle Ages, hearing from the best and brightest minds. We will disentangle fact from fiction, bring you the latest discoveries, and reveal how the so-called Dark Ages laid the foundations for much of the world we're living in today. Subscribe to Gone Medieval from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I've got to ask you a question, Kelsey, because I would be remiss if I didn't. How much do you think that our modern representations are any different to those of people like Walter Scott or in the art or our common memory, I suppose? Do programs like Outlander portray a fair depiction of that period? I think with Outlander, as much as I love it, it is very difficult to uh, take it somewhat seriously. You know, between Claire's meddling, meeting Nessie on the banks of Inverness at one point in the book and <laughs> all the other sequences of events that happen, I feel like it does stick to, you know, the main sort of plot points. However, it does, as books tend to do, get led astray sometimes. And seeing Bonnie Prince Charlie in the programme was really interesting, actually, because I watched the programme before learning the history, before studying my dissertation. So as somebody coming in from it, from, you know, not knowing Scottish history, I took it as law, almost like this is what happened, that's what happened. And then actually reading it, I thought, oh, no, that's not the case at all. And one of the biggest things, as we spoke about earlier, was this conception of Scottish versus English. And throughout the series, I don't think I once saw or heard an English person on the Jacobite side during this entire filming of the series one, especially during the Culloden battle scenes and things. It's all about the Scots getting ready and, you know, doing Highland charges and things like that. And on the government forces side, there's not one Scotsman. And any Scotsman that is there in some scenes gets treated as though they're just a wild man. (laughs) He doesn't deserve to be, you know, in the company of these fine English aristocrats. And it's completely, it's a narrative that's, I don't know how it's been ingrained in our culture, but maybe Walter Scott is to blame completely. But it's very much a narrative that's very, well, false. It's inaccurate because, as we've discussed, there were many nationalities on many different sides. So perhaps we need to unpick any notions that Culloden can be linked as a rallying flag around nationalism. Definitely. I think it's very popular to believe that it's English versus Scots and the Irish are completely kept out of the picture. I remember speaking to a few Highlanders who I recently met up here and they didn't actually know that the English were (laughs) on Jacobite sides. And I thought thought that was so, so interesting. And I speak to some Scots people as well and they don't even know who the Jacobites are. And it turns out it's a history that's not very well taught in schools up here, which I think is so, so fascinating. So unless you actually know what you're looking for or you take an active interest, it's something that's not going to be focused on as such. Well, I think it's not taught very well anywhere. And it's only recently that we've started to unpick this history and look a little bit more at the practical details, the participants and the nuances 
of the battle. Now, I know that in your research, you specifically look at some of the art of war, literally speaking, the paintings that are created <laughs> as a result of battle, because that's one of the way in which we keep these battles. It makes them famous and keeps them in our memories. Which ones should we be looking at or looking out for to help us understand this battle better or which ones lead us astray? I think one of the most beautiful pictures I've seen is called The Order of Release 1746 by Sir John Everett Miller. And it's very much a romantic picture inspired by Walter Scott and it's the release of a Jacobite prisoner. And the artist himself, he went into a lot of trouble consulting even Highland chiefs, you know, to understand what kilt to put on the characters and what is the right tartan to show during the painting. I think it's very much a romantic notion. It's very much a romantic concept, you know, the hopefulness that this prisoner was released. And the truth is, unless the prisoner was useful in military skill or he was somebody who could be held for ransom, the chances are he wouldn't have been released, he would have been killed. And that's something that's quite solemn in a way, but I don't think it would have been the same picture had it been somebody who was killed or in the middle of being killed. You know, I think there's a hopefulness about this release of a prisoner, especially going back into his family. I mean, the picture shows a wife and a young child and the red coat releasing him. He's just kind of half in the picture so that you can see that the focus of this image is definitely on the Highland family. And I think that's very telling of an attitude towards, you know, almost sympathies towards these people who had to go and experience this thing between fighting for their beliefs and then being killed or seeing their friends being killed and never seeing their family again. Whereas this prisoner, he can see his family again because he's been released. That's a really interesting way of reading the painting. I suppose I like your reading of it as a bit of hope, a bit of maybe moving on in the history, a move towards a more peaceful period. I remember from the painting of a dog jumping up as well, like the Jacobite prisoners returning home to their family for a time of peace to care for their family and the red coat is letting them go. But I also suppose I see a little bit of defeat in there and a little bit of hopelessness for the political cause. So is it fair to read this as a political painting? I think it would be an interesting interpretation because a similar contrast, or a complete contrast even, to that painting is another called The Arrest of a Rebel After the Battle of Culloden by Sir John Blake MacDonald. And this was painted in 1864. And it's a very romantic work of art and it shows that helplessness, the hopelessness, the bravery, and it would have been a terrifying reality. So they've tried to make this Highlander into somebody who's going to be a martyr. Because like I said, you know, if you're a prisoner, you're either sent to the colony or you're killed or you're released for ransom. And so it's a time of, you know, being arrested. It's, you know, you don't know your fate. You don't know what's going to happen to you. So to paint a scene like that is quite touching in a way. And I do really think it commands the sympathies of an audience, especially around this time as the Victorians loved reading about the Jacobites. And Queen Victoria herself said she was a Jacobite. She claimed to be a Jacobite, which is very interesting. And her bar moral estate was decked out in the Stuart tartan. And one of her servants said, you know, she had tartan curtains, tartan pillows, tartan rugs. And it's just so interesting how the entire nation was touched by this idea of these hopeless heroes and fighting for what they believe in these hopeless heroes fighting for what they believe in. 
I think that is a perfect point to end this chat. And Kelsey, I've got to say, where can people follow along in your amazing journey, your exploits up in the Highlands? So my Instagram handle is Sassanak in Alba, which translates to English person in Scotland. I thought it was very fitting considering I've now moved here and I hope to carry on my adventures exploring this beautiful country. Yes, perfect. And of course, writing on this specific topic with all of those beautiful parts of Scotland around you as inspiration. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Like I say, it's always great to hear new histories and new historians and both those paintings you discuss. They are available in the National Galleries of Scotland and I think one is also available in the National Portrait Gallery as well in London. Kelsey, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome to talk about, well, everything Jacobite and everything Scottish. Great. Well, we'll get you on again soon. Thanks, Kelsey. Thank you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.